0: Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, your guide to the fantastic world of Metamore City. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you, and keep you up to date on my writing endeavors. So, let's kick things off with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 3 of The Lost in the Least. If you're new to the show, you can find the beginning of this novel in episode 143. Also, be aware that this is the sequel to Things Unseen, so if you haven't read that book yet, you'll probably want to do so before continuing on to this one. You can find Things Unseen for sale on Amazon and Audible. As with Chapter 2, this chapter does have some adult content, so if you're listening with kids in the room, you might want to put on headphones. Now then, here's Chapter 3. The Lost and the Least A Novel of Metamore City Written and Read by Chris Lester Chapter 3 Thursday, May 17th John awoke at 7.30 to an empty bed. That was nothing new where Kate was concerned. The woman seemed incapable of sleeping past 6.00. She also didn't seem to be big on cuddling, at least not with John. He smiled ironically to himself. She comes to an incubus for sleep therapy and then doesn't want to snuggle with him. How shocking. He got up, showered off last night's residue, then wandered over to the staff kitchen. A mostly full pot sat in the coffee maker, another sign that Kate was up and about. The only other priest who got up this early was the head priestess, Jasmine, and she wasn't enough of a caffeine addict to bother making a pot when she could just wait and have someone else do it for her. John poured himself a cup, stirred in cream and sugar, and started frying up sausage links. His infernal side may have eaten its fill last night, but his human half was starving. Jasmine wandered in a few minutes later. Resplendent in her bare red skin and long, flowing black hair. While she wore no clothes, she was not exactly naked. A gold chain around her neck bore a holy symbol of Suspira, ten centimeters tall and encrusted with rubies and black sapphires. Gold bangles hung on her wrists and ankles, and chains of black pearls fell in glittering cascades from her pointed ears. Her proud, elegant features looked contented this morning and her prehensile tail waved back and forth lazily, high in the air behind her. John felt the muscles in his neck and shoulders relax. Life was always so much better when the boss was happy. "'Morning, John,' Jasmine said, swatting him affectionately on the ass as she headed for the coffee pot. "'Good morning, mistress,' John said, bowing his head briefly to her in deference." The succubus spooned three large helpings of sugar into her coffee, then followed it up with a jigger of brandy from the top shelf. Your cop chick ran out of here in a hurry this morning, she said. Left her pants behind and everything. John snorted. (laughs) She's just out chasing a runner's high. She'll be back. Exercise as pleasure, Jasmine said, shaking her head. I do not get it. The great-maker made all kinds, I guess, John said. Care for some sausage for breakfast? Jasmine grinned wickedly over her coffee mug. John, dear, you know I can't get enough of your sausage, but you seem a little busy at the moment. John returned the grin and added a few more links to the pan. I take it the meeting with the Holy Mother went well? Lady Zaspira is greatly pleased with our chapter, Jasmine agreed, in a tone of great satisfaction. Offerings are up 15% this year, and we've seen a major spike in worldnet traffic in the last month. I credit your sister for that one. John winced. We've got to find a way to get Misty out of the limelight soon. With all these reporters dogging her every step, somebody's going to figure out what happened to her. If her new appearance is ever exposed... Count Holloway will take care of it, Jasmine said confidently. The man's a racist creep, but he's no fool. If Misty suddenly turns into a scaly red demoness on imperial television, what do you think he's going to do, throw away his last living heir? Or will he say it's a trick, a ploy by his enemies to discredit his loving, faithful daughter? John waved a hand, conceding the point. He had no affection for the man he had once unwittingly called father, the man who had stripped him of his name, title, and inheritance. But he knew that Xavier Holloway loved his daughter for all that he hated her hedonist religious beliefs. I just hate seeing her dragged into all these court cases, John said. Ezekiel's negligent homicide charge, the vamps kidnapping Cephi, the imperial trespassing charges at the rift. She's going to be up to her armpits and lawyers for years. But she's carrying herself well, Jasmine pointed out, as she settled into a chair at the nearby table. The world's seeing another side of Misty Halloway now. Smart, composed, professional. People are starting to admit she could actually be the Countess one day. That credibility is going to come in very handy, for her and us. John pushed the sausages around in the pan, making them sizzle. Always taking the long view, aren't you, Mistress? It's a useful habit when you're a mortal, Jasmine said dryly. You'll learn it with time. John heard the back door to the temple open and shut. John? Kate's voice came from the locker room. In here. John called back. Kate appeared a moment later, dressed in a tank top and a pair of running shorts. She held a water bottle in one hand and was mopping her brow with a small towel in the other. Her pale, gold-tinted skin was flushed and sweaty with exertion. It was a look John had seen on her before, in other contexts, and he liked it. Mmm, breakfast, Kate said. I feel special. We aim to please, John said, flashing her a wink. How was your run? Kate waggled a hand in a so-so gesture. Eh, didn't really hit my high. I started having some trouble breathing. John frowned. Any idea why? Not a clue, Kate said, shrugging. I'm fine now. John nodded. How are the bruises? Not too bad. I looked like I got a beating from the neck down, but it looks worse than it is. I'm a little stiff, but it only really hurts when I press on them. Bruising, eh? Jasmine purred. Is John trying something new with you? Kate turned to the succubus sitting at the table. Oh, Mistress Jasmine. Sorry, I was distracted. Good morning. Jasmine inclined her head to Kate, instantly slipping into high priestess mode. Health and pleasure to you, Miss Catane. Did you sleep well last night? Like a rock. Kate took a swig of her water. Thanks for letting me crash here. I hope I haven't been keeping John from too many of his duties. Jasmine smiled beatifically. My dear, John's chief duty is to bring the joy and pleasure of Suspira's word to those who are not yet counted among the faithful. No duty at Temple is more important than his ministry to you. Kate's skin flushed a little redder. Oh. Um. Okay. Okay. She laughed, a light, nervous sound. "'Look, I don't know what John's told you, but I'm not looking to join your church. I'm a Maraiist, and I plan to stay that way.' Jasmine nodded once, serenely. "'I understand. The Church of St. Marais had many disciples who learned the word of Suspira and enriched their lives in the process.' One can worship Eli and still understand that there are other facets of creation that are not spoken of in canticle or codex. Kate looked up at John, eyebrows raised, then back at Jasmine. (sighs) Okay, but we weren't doing anything religious. Of course you were, Jasmine said equably. Every act of pleasure is an act of reverence to Suspira and to the forces of the universe that she embodies. Kate tilted her head in an ironic bow. If you say so, ma'am. You will see more with time, Jasmine assured her. Her golden, cat-slitted eyes sparkled with hunger. We are all excellent teachers. Perhaps some night John and I can teach you the mysteries of the sacred triad. That surprised another nervous laugh out of Kate. (laughs) Um, wow, that's a hell of a pickup line. Not a line, Miss Catane, the succubus said. A sincere offer. I promise you would find it. Transcendental. Kate carefully took another sip of her water, covering her blush. Well, I'm flattered, Mistress Jasmine, she said at last, but I've had offers from women before, and I just can't see it happening. Jasmine leaned forward a little. And why is that, if I may ask? I know you harbor no prejudices in this matter. No, of course not, Kate admitted. It's just... She shrugged, threw up her hands. I don't know what to tell you. Men do it for me. I just really like cock. Jasmine grinned. Oh, but my dear, you haven't even tried mine. She parted her legs, and in an instant her clit had grown into a fully erect, thirty-centimeter-long phallus. And I promise you, I've never left a lover unsatisfied. Kate's skin flushed almost as red as John's. She dropped her water bottle from numb fingers. John reached over and caught it with his tail before it hit the floor, then set it on the counter beside her. Okay, Kate said, turning away. I'm going to go take a long shower in very cold water. Please excuse me. She grabbed her water bottle and fled the room. Jasmine sat back in her chair, chuckling to herself. That was a little unnecessary, wasn't it? John said, once Kate was out of earshot. Her soul is heavy with the sin of shame, Jasmine intoned in her priestess voice. Then she switched back to the informal tone she used with John and the other priests. She's gotta let go of that shit. She thinks she's a progressive, but she's still carrying a lot of baggage. She's carrying a lot more than you realize, John said, an edge of anger creeping into his voice. She killed someone in the line of duty last month. A vampire's thrall at close range. Shot her in the back of the head to save somebody else. Jasmine's expression sobered. Fuck, she said slowly. How's she handling it? She crashed her swoop on the track yesterday, John said, and she needs an incubus to fuck her senseless so she can sleep at night. How do you think she's handling it? Jasmine had enough decency to look pained at that. Well, shit. If she's that screwed up, she's gonna need professional help. My mom was in the Great War, and you don't just get over that shit on your own. She's supposed to be getting counseling through her work, John said. I'm taking her to her psychologist this morning. Well, that's something, Jasmine said. He any good? No idea, John said. I guess that depends on how much she trusts him. So, are you still having trouble sleeping? Kate sat back in the comfy chair and studied her fingernails. Not really. Dr. Jared Tamlin, MCPD staff psychologist, made a note on his pad. Are you still using the pills I prescribed? No. I stopped those a couple weeks ago. Why? Kate shrugged. Don't like drugs? Too easy to get dependent on them. Dr. Tamlin nodded slowly. Because of your time working narcotics? I guess. The shrink made another note. So, you're sleeping regularly? About how long? Kate thought about it. About five hours, most nights. I like to run in the morning. Yes, I remember. Dr. Tamlin made another note. The morning sunlight shone through the window behind him, casting his face into shadow. Kate looked past him to the glimmers of light off streams of rush hour traffic outside. So many people on their way to work, following the daily rhythms of the metropolis, while Kate sat in here, talking about nothing with this... this nebbish... Have you made any significant changes in your life lately? Dr. Tamlin asked. Well, I'm not going to work, so that's new, Kate said acidly. I'm really catching up on all those books I meant to read. If Dr. Tamlin was offended by her tone, he gave no sign of it. And have you taken up any new hobbies, or dropped any old ones? Kate shook her head. Planned any big trips? She shook her head again. Started a new relationship? or ended an existing one? I don't see how that's any of your business, Doc. Dr. Tamlin smiled mildly, and made another note on his pad. People recovering from trauma often experience sudden changes in their sexual feelings and behavior. It can be an important clue to what's going on inside them. Well, there's your problem, Doc, Kate said, pounding her fist against the chair. I didn't have any trauma. I caused it. The brass sent me here because I killed someone, not because I got tortured or raped or something. True, but that doesn't mean the experience wasn't traumatic, the shrink said. Taking a life isn't something cops have to do very often, and our whole culture trains us against killing. Breaking a code that ingrained, even when it's for a very good reason, it carries a psychological cost. Kate closed her eyes and rubbed the spot between them. She was getting a headache. Look... I admit I was upset after it all happened. She was just a thrall, and she died for some bastard vamp who ordered her to do what she did. It was fucked up, and I was mad as hell about it. But I got over it. The world is what it is, I didn't make it this way, and I had a job to do. She looked at him and spread her hands. That's it. That's all there is to it. I'm ready to get back to work, stopping the people who do things like this. But instead, you're all treating me like I'm broken, and... She blew out a breath, shook her head again. (sighs) And I don't know what the fuck you want me to say. Dr. Tamlin's green eyes shone with sympathy. Kate hated it. It felt like pity. It's not about a formula, Lieutenant, he said. Everyone's journey is different. I'm just trying to get a sense of where you're at in the healing process. And frankly, you haven't been giving me a lot to work with. I'm here, Kate said, exasperated. Sitting in your office, listening to you ask questions that don't make sense about things that don't matter. And I'm starting to wonder what they're paying you for. A frown creased the doctor's brow. It was the first show of irritation Kate had seen from the man, and she took a perverse sort of satisfaction in it. He made a long note on his pad, the nib of the pen scratching loudly against the paper. At last, he set down his pen and looked up at her. One last question for today, Lieutenant. When did you start having flashbacks? Flash, a bloody corpse on a cold garage floor, covered in bite marks, gaping up at her without a face. Kate was out of her chair in an instant and slammed her palms down on the desk in front of him. What is this? Who the fuck told you that? Dr. Tamlin sat back in his chair and steepled his fingers. You did, Miss Katane. Just now. Kate grabbed her bag and zipped it up. This is bullshit. We're done. She headed for the door. We're done for today, Lieutenant, Dr. Tamlin called after her. I'll expect to see you at the same time next Monday. Perhaps then we can talk honestly about your symptoms. Yeah? Kate grabbed the doorknob, twisted, yanked it open. Papers fluttered in the mailbox attached to the outside of the door. We'll see about that. And that's the end of Chapter 3. Come back next time for Chapter 4, when we check back in with Michael Pirelli and Kate makes a very long-distance video call. Sydney Sheldon said, A blank piece of paper is God's way of telling us how hard it is to be God. So, let's see how my divine talents are coming along. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 2,145 words this week over the course of 3.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 613 words per hour. I wrote on four out of seven days this week. This week I continued my development work for my next Metamore City novel, None Shall Dwell Within. I focused in on Kate and Jared this week, making careful notes on the status quo that they each find themselves in at the start of the book. More than a year passes between the lost and the least in this new novel, So I have to think about what's changed in the intervening time, and where these characters stand in each of their relationships. Once I have that starting position figured out, I can start thinking about how they're going to react when their status quo is disrupted by the events of the book. I know some writers advise against doing a lot of prep work or outlining before writing a novel, and I can understand the arguments for it. The sort of writing I'm doing right now doesn't end up in the final draft, after all, so any time I spend doing this is not making words that sell. On the other hand, I've now successfully completed three long novels by mapping them out like this in advance. It took me longer than I wanted, but I got them done. In contrast, every long work that I've tried to write from the seat of my pants is stalled out sooner or later. This technique might not be the most efficient process in the world, but for me at least, I know that it gets results. Maybe someday I'll succeed in freeing myself from the need to outline. But that day is not today. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension two five five zero eight two, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash authorchrislester. The fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Mastodon handle is at authorchrislester at wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2018 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license please visit creativecommons.org.